From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. We are back at Providence Park recording this week, no, so no pork chop in the background. Maybe maybe no barking or randomly. <laughs> yep, huge downgrade this week, everybody. Only a two-mammal show. Yeah. <laughs> Thought we had better chemistry when the dog was lying at my feet, to be honest with you. It's definitely a, a much cuter podcast. Yeah, maybe somebody here can just come and just like relax. Well, there maybe. are so many dogs at Providence Park. We got to get Kayla and Olivia down here. Yeah, That'd get Diego fun. down yeah. here. Diego. <laughs> yeah, we actually just lost a really cute dog because, well, the dog is fine, but the employee who had the dog is leaving us here oh. soon. A dog whose name is Archie. Maybe the cutest dog in the building. <laughs> I need to get Porkchop a press pass so he can come in. I, haven't, I don't I haven't think that would that. be a problem, actually. <laughs> I haven't got it cleared yet, so we'll see. Maybe yeah, have you actually it. asked? I've I've asked before. Can, do you, would it be okay? You think if Porkchop came, and people were like, eh. how mad do you think Sydney Larue would be if she saw Porkchop on the field? <laughs> I mean, I don't think we should compare dogs to children, but I don't think uh, so either. I mean, yeah. I well, if she was, if random dogs were running around the field, though, I do think Sydney yeah. would wonder why can't my child be on this field? So. I'll save my dogs versus children <laughs> takes for our Patreon behind the wall podcast. For now, maybe we should stick to soccer. Or I kind of don't want to stick to soccer. At least it was more fun talking to Haley Rosso about non-soccer things. Yeah, so we'll get to that. We'll have something, a little <laughs> nugget for people to listen to. We have Haley Rosso on the show in a little bit. Richard and her spoke earlier today. Um, Jamie tried to make it, but her eye doctor conspired <laughs> against her. Yeah, construction eye doctor. It's okay. Yeah. We still had a great interview with Haley. We're here for the pod right now. I think we have to get through some of the Timbers uh, <laughs> results. <laughs> if you um, want to fast forward way. through this, I imagine about 35 yeah. minutes from now, you won't have to hear about what happened with the Timbers. If you don't want to fast forward through this, congratulations, masochists. We're going to talk about what happened last week with, yep. whoa, those two games. <laughs> yeah, so let's start with DC United. Timbers, uh, obviously, we're coming off a loss against Vancouver. Go to DC United midweek. Um, and lose four to one, the most lopsided loss a team has had since March 10th uh, at New York Red Bulls. So, my prediction wasn't very good um, at all. Uh, I, I did, in fact, get the number of goals the Timbers scored. I predicted a one-one tie. Congratulations! Um, I really don't think that captures any spirit of the game. You predicted a Valeri goal. Uh, that also <laughs> yeah whatever I mean, like honestly these last two games they just kind of blend together to me yeah. as kind of like 180 minutes of ugh. yeah no i'm even wondering if we should talk about them individually because they just seem like at least come halftime of the wednesday game everything was bad it seemed like yeah i i think let's go through them each and sort of speak with them also you know together um mm-hmm. at, at the end um i'm going to give us zero points for this because even though I got the one goal, I really don't think I got You know who else had idea. zero points last week? The Portland Timbers. Yes, the Portland Timbers. So, oh, uh, <laughs> man, bad week for all of us. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the DC game, I, I mean, <laughs> the Timbers go up. I, I think you look at the first 40 minutes of that game. That's what uh, Savaresi said after um, the, the match. I mean, it felt like they were right there. And it, I, for me, at first, it was um, – it was something really good to see because I, going to that game, I think we were talking a lot about how their first halves have been not where they want them to be. They need to get stronger starts, that they've been having all these second halves where they come back, but um, they need to be better from the get-go. And they were 
for 40 minutes. I mean, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I'm like going like shaking my head back and forth because I, like we talked about on last week's podcast, to me, that's just selecting out a certain part of the game where they're not good. And teams are always, almost always not good during certain parts of the game. But the contrast was obvious. I think particularly when you're talking about a team going on the road in Major League Soccer, it was a controlled game. Uh, they were taking care of business. They were trying to keep the ball. They were kind of uh, slowing the game down in that way. And they were creating the better chances or at least the better half chances. And it eventually paid off. And I think had that goal not happened right before halftime and everything that went into that goal too, you would have come away from that saying, this is exactly how the Timbers should be playing on the road. And then the goal happened. Yeah, and I'm not sure I've seen um, Gio Savaresi as mad as he was uh, during a halftime interview or as emotional um, in talking about how they conceded something stupid. Um, obviously, you know, the goal Rooney scores. The, I mean, you might look at Cascante sort of, you know, chasing after Rooney, but it started, you know, yeah. in the midfield. It's our way before that, them not closing down space. There was just so many mistakes leading up to that goal and putting them in a position where suddenly they don't have the momentum going to halftime and obviously conceding then three additional goals in the second half mm-hmm. uh, is not a good performance for any team. Yeah, I get the reflex to blame Cascante, but at the same time... It's not just him. It's it, We don't even know for sure that it's him. Yeah. Does he? Does Giovanni Savarese want, uh, especially in a three-man back line, him tracking that tracking Wayne Rooney, taking himself out of position, having to draw Zarek Valentin back in. I don't know for sure. It's entirely possible. But I think it's very unlikely, based on how we've seen this team play before, that Giovanni Savarese wants people standing above the ball in front of central defense for without any pressure on them at all, particularly considering that throughout almost all of the shapes that he has selected this year, he's had three central midfielders. That is obviously an area of high concern. And we'll talk about it even more when we talk about the Sporting Kansas City game. Teams are getting access to that part of the field way too easy. And that was the core problem on that goal. So what, I mean, looking at the performance overall, I mean, how do you sort of evaluate what went wrong? Why, why didn't they have such a lopsided result here? It's almost difficult to know where to start because so many things did go wrong. So many things go wrong that you almost have to go to a, a higher level thing. Were they fatigued? What did the travel uh, throw them off? Did they just get out of rhythm? Was the preparation bad? Where is it the coaching staff's fault for not having them better prepared? Savarese said that after both games, but that seems unlikely. I mean, you, I don't go to these trainings and go, oh, this is so much different today. The coaching staff is really mailing it in today. But I think it is just hard for teams to maintain that mental intensity throughout a whole season. And I think over the homestand, we didn't talk about it explicitly, but we did talk about the idea that there's some cracks starting to show in the armor. I think you were harping on it more than I did. But even saying harping on it now, in hindsight, it's more like you were forecasting it more than I did. They go on the road. They had a disappointment the Saturday before. They run into a DC United team that is on a roll right now, way better than their record indicates. And they got steamrolled. And I think it's just a mentality thing. Little things like letting people into that area we just talked about, that's not tactics. We know what Gio wants that team to be doing in that situation. That's a, I'm not scared enough of letting teams into this spot situation. And I think the players have to take responsibility for it. Yeah, and I think that the defense hasn't been good enough, really. Um, Maybe... Philadelphia game aside since they did get the clean sheet there but it, since that Montreal game in terms of making mistakes and yeah, I, I and I think it's important and I, I guess you just mentioned it and something that I don't think I say enough but it's not just the back line that's faulted for that you know yeah. the midfield has to be part of that defensive effort and, and so they are making mistakes in the defensive areas of the field or allowing teams to get in good positions and making maybe, maybe 
maybe making that final error. And, and they've conceded, um, you know, since that Montreal game. I, I think it's 12 goals in six games at this point. Yeah, I'm, and I think – I don't think you should be blamed for not picking out the midfield before because you think about the Montreal game. Ignacio Piatti turns on a ball, hits a diagonal. The combination of Cascante and Valentin get beat for the goal. Is that the midfield's fault? Maybe. Maybe Gio wants somebody pressed up there, but there's no circumstance in which a defense should be letting a guy just on the other half of center line play a long ball like that. Or in the Houston game where Albert Elise just strips Cascante of the ball, creates a goal for Manotas, that doesn't have anything to do with the midfield. This game, though, there is no coach that is going to want a player standing above the ball, 30 yards out, able to pick out runners. Because like we're talking about here, is Cascante supposed to track that runner? Maybe. But if he tracks that runner, it opens up space for somebody else. And the guy with no pressure on him is going to be able to pick out that space. So that, I think, as of Wednesday of last week and carried over into Saturday is such a big problem with what ha- happened over the last 180 minutes. Yeah, and so let's just get into Saturday's game as well so we can talk about both of these together. Um, obviously, <laughs> I guess I maybe should get a little bit more points on this just because I, I predicted that Kansas City was going to win. Yes, and? Uh, I predicted 1-0. So you got um, the clean sheet right too. Yes. So you, you, both games, you got the Timbers goals, right? I did. Um, I, I, I will give myself some points on this one, but Kansas City wins 3-0. That's a little bit more decisive than yes. a, the 1-0 that I predicted. You predicted a clean sheet. I, I think you were talking about uh, Kansas City not scoring. Yes. I, I, I was very, very wrong on this. <laughs> so you get zero points. I'll give myself um, 8.3 points for uh, the win and, and the Timbers uh, being shut out. So... Uh, I think that's fair. I think we had a better idea that this was going to be um, maybe the tougher of the two. Or I had a better idea thinking that yeah. this was going to be the tougher of the two games. Don't know if the scorelines necessarily hold up with that. But but I think one of the things going into this game, I mean, once we saw the D.C. lineup mm-hmm. um, on Wednesday, the expectation was, man, they're going to have to rotate for Kansas City. And yes. I think and, a lot, and they did. Yeah, and they did. And I think a lot of people have been asking us why – uh, Savaresi approached the week like that. We haven't had a chance to ask him, mm-hmm. and that's something that uh, will come up later today in his press conference. But he he made the decision to put closer to his top line about against DC, an Eastern Conference opponent, maybe the opponent that seemed like the easier chance to get the win. Um, so you can see sort of potential reasoning there. But that put him in a position where Powell's on the bench um, after his performance. I mean, like. Could have been a little bit of a performance factor, so could have been Polo, but Chara and Blanco are on the bench, and you take Chara out of the midfield, a midfield that already had trouble, uh, as we just talked about against CC. You take Blanco out with an attack that I think is really relying on three players, including Blanco right now. Looking at the lineup, I couldn't feel very confident going to that game, even before before they stepped on the field. I think that all the questions that fans were asking after the lineup came out are worth being asked. I mean, it's just natural to ask a coach to explain the decisions that they made, win or lose. For me, I've been trying to wrap my head around it a little bit. I haven't gotten to talk to uh, Giovanni Savarese about it or anybody from the staff, to be honest with you, because they've been away uh, during this time. The justifications I can come up with are basically twofold. One, the team has played, had played Sporting Kansas City earlier this year. They had an approach that worked. They had an approach that worked without Diego Chirra, too. So Giovanni Savarese might have been comfortable going into that match without Diego Chirra, playing similarly to the way that they played here at home and expecting to get a result. 
second game in four days. Maybe he's kind of consigning himself to a draw, but he has some evidence to suggest that he should be confident in that approach. Now, as far as not playing a stronger team against Kansas City, playing and maybe playing a weaker team against DC United, the only defense I have for that is it seems reasonable to me, even if maybe I wouldn't do it, to go into the DC United game and say, we're going to put our best foot forward. And maybe these players come out of this game and a lot of them are able to play in Kansas City. But we're not going to know that until we get the the data back from that, the data that we're going to have over the next couple of days in training in KC. We're going to see who's, based on their heart rate, based on how much they're having to move, who's having to strain more, who's going to need that rest on Saturday. But here on Tuesday, when I'm deciding my 11 for a Wednesday game, I'm not going to make any assumptions about it. I'm going to put my team out there. I'm going to see what happens. And then I'm going to deal with the Saturday game. That's the only... That's the only viewpoint I can think of that works. And I personally think a manager should be entitled to that. But at the same time, when you lose and you lose the way that Giovanni Savarese did, it is not only natural for people to ask questions, it's incumbent on people to ask yeah. questions. And I think you you look at the lineup he puts out against Kansas City. They try to keep a number of the stars in there. They have six um, who played in all three of the games um, in that Kansas City game. And I think they looked gassed. I, I, I think me obviously the heart rates and things – they probably had the data that said these players could go. But, I mean, as Savarese said, I think, in the halftime and after the game, you know, when you concede that much of the ball, obviously the Timbers have effectively conceded possession before and used that to their advantage. But concede nearly 70% of possession in the first half. Get all one chance. Uh, Samuel Armentero is putting the ball off the post in that first half. They're a little bit better in the second half. But when you're spending that much time not only conceding possession, but allowing Kansas City with their possession to get into dangerous positions. Um, Timbers had two turnovers in, I, I want to say, the first 10 to 15 minutes where Kansas City easily could have scored. They were lucky to yeah. be able to come back and make some good tackles. But you could tell that that Kansas City at some point was going to get on the board with the way the Timbers were playing it. And um, Casey outshoots Portland 25-7, to 7, ends up with 63% of possession. You just had to look at this is one where you can look at the stats and very clearly see who's yeah. the better team in the game. Yeah, I just want to read one of Gio's quotes from after the game because um, it kind of hints that he knows that something went wrong. Um, we've heard words like this from Giovanni Savarese before, and I know a lot of people like to parse Gio's words and try to look at the subtext of them, which I want to caution against a little bit because that gets a little bit dangerous when you're talking about people who aren't. English as first language speakers. So trying to read too much into subtext uh, is a little bit dangerous there. But one of the things that he said after the games game is this was a diff. This was difficult with three matches, one after the other. We explored something. We tried to see if we can work with players playing matches back to back. And we learned that we have to change certain things. It was a good learning experience. These three matches. So I think what he's saying there is basically, look, we tried to see if these players could play through this, play through the fatigue, play through the travel, and it didn't work. We we learned from these experiences. Maybe I'm not going to do that again. Maybe now I know not to do that. It was a bad week, but at least we know that certain players we can push, most players we can't. Yeah, and obviously they're going to have to show they learned from that experience of coming up very quickly as they face a similar stretch. Not as much travel, but a similar three games in uh this time, I think, seven-day stretch next week. Yeah, but, very, very important game, too, on Sunday. Yeah. Um, uh, should we go to that game, or should we discuss a little bit more in general of uh, sort of this stretch before we get into the Seattle match? Well, I guess I guess it is worth asking if either of us have, like, a general theory as to what's gone wrong with the team. I've kind of said mine. I've said it's basically a mentality thing. Yeah. Um, 
the players just didn't look as hungry after these couple games as they did against Dallas and Chicago early in the season when they were struggling. And I think they've got to get back to that mentality. And it's pretty understandable after 15 games worth of success that that mentality would slip a little bit. But hopefully these last three games have been a reminder of how easy it is to lose that edge. But I want to hear what you think. Yeah, I think mentality is part of it. I, and I think I think Gio made some miscalculations. I, I think a lot of this, and definitely not all of it, but I, I think the way he decided to roll out his lineups um, made a difference in these three games. The players didn't execute the plans as well as they have in the past. That comes down to mentality. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I think that the lineups he used were not what we're not the best decisions. And I think that Timbers have to learn from that going into a similar stretch. So I think Geo, first year coach dealing with one of these first compacted schedules at this point in the season, um, when they're happening a little bit more, when guys are a little bit more tired than maybe they are earlier in the year, didn't approach it the right way. Um, at the same time, I don't know. I, I think teams are going to start figuring out the Timbers a little bit. I, I don't know if yeah, it necessarily given so many of the errors that happened in these games, I don't know if that's exactly what you can point to, but I think other teams are having better game plans in general coming mm-hmm. into the Timbers. And so Savarasi is going to have to adjust to that as well. We've seen he's, he's able to make adjustments, but he also has, you know, three or four different approaches that he's been going with. And so maybe teams are starting to understand how do we prepare for this? How do we, um, what are we going to expect and doing a little bit better job predicting what they're going to get out of the Timbers. So, um, I think that the Timbers have a lot of adjustments that they have to make this week. And a lot of that comes down to um, Zavaresi trying to make sure he is making adjusting to teams, adjusting to him, um, dealing with a compacted schedule better. And the players need to get back on track with their mentality. And hopefully a week here at home in preparation for a rivalry game is just what they need to do that. Certainly can't help hurt at this point, but they do have a week to stew on yeah. the week that was, <laughs> on a really big game, on an opponent that's the hottest team in Major yep. League Soccer right now. Seattle's won six in a row. They're unbeaten in nine. And this game that's coming up, Jamie, reminds me a lot of when the Timbers went to Seattle before. Three to two victory there. Second win of the season over Seattle. They were going on the road to a rival and they were as hot a team as anybody yeah. in Major League Soccer. And from a Portland point of view, you almost felt like, okay, this is the time that the Timbers are going to break through and win this game. And when they did, it wasn't a surprise. Is anybody going to be surprised if the Sounders win on Sunday? I don't think so. And I think the Sounders are going to, I mean, against a rival, they can knock them under the red line. Obviously, it's still early in the season. But just to have that extra thing to go in and know, hey, we can pass our rival who everybody's been looking down at the Sounders all season and saying, what's wrong with them? Now they're going to be above the, if they beat the Timbers, yeah. above the red line, passing their rival, going on the road and beating their rival. There's a lot of motivation for the Sounders who are already on a roll to, to want to come out and play their best game this weekend. So this is a theory that we were throwing around at the T2 game this weekend. Acknowledging that the Timbers are going through a stretch now that pretty much every team in Major League Soccer goes through a bad stretch each year. How you manage that stretch defines how your season's going to end up. Do we think it's at all possible that Garth Lagerway and Brian Schmetzer are just like, let's actively get our bad stretch out of the way between March and May each year. Because we know we're going to make moves in the transfer window. We know it's more important to be playing our best come October and November. So why don't we actively try to get this bad <laughs> stuff out of here? Psychologically, that'll help us focus for a shorter stretch of time, but a more important stretch of time. What are the odds that that is actually the Machiavellian way that they're looking at the MLS world? I don't think that's exactly how they look at it. Do you have any proof? 
I don't. Uh, wow. So maybe, might, maybe yeah. that's exactly how they look at it. But I think I've you, got some proof. If you <laughs> the 2016 season, the I 2017 mean, season. I'm not saying that this isn't a trend. I'm saying yeah. that I don't think they actively look at it that way. Now you look at the Thorns side. You look at Mark Parsons and how the Thorns have consistently gone through some struggles early in the season and found a way. We'll see if it happens this year. We'll talk about that more. But found a way historically under Mark Parsons to put it together at the end of the season and, and go on a run. Maybe it's just that Seattle, I mean, that is their ultimate goal. So they're not as concerned with the beginning of the season and they're more willing to take chances, change things around, see what's working. Okay. Um, and, and so maybe that leads to them just yeah, absolutely. being up and down. But I don't think they're going in with an exact mentality of, you know what? Let's actively lose these games. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Let's just Psychologically, yeah. we need to set the stage. And even if we squeak out some wins from April and May, that's not going to do us any good in the long run. We won't be as psychologically yeah. tough unless we lose these games. I don't so let's start Alex Roldan for... <laughs> stretches of time let's not have a, a left back that we actually <laughs> like let's go in that route you don't think they're doing that yeah no but I, I do think they're clearly focused on making sure they find a way to be the best team they can towards the end of the season which i, I think a lot of teams try to i do think 100 percent of teams try to do that yeah but obviously that's been the trend for them yeah. uh, well, I think another implication of this game, even though the Timbers have won twice against the Sounders this year, is that only one of those wins actually counted in the Cascadia Cup standings. Yeah. So as of right now, the three teams are even with a win and a loss. Bold difference has Seattle at the top of the Cascadia Cup table. So this would be a huge win for Seattle and a pretty devastating blow for the Timbers, considering that it is a shortened Cascadia Cup calendar this year. They're not playing a full six games against each other. Only four of the five uh, that the Timbers play against Seattle this year actually count in the standings. So as far as the Cascadia Cup concerns is concerned, it's not exactly make it or break it, but the Timbers lose their destiny if they lose this yeah. game. Yeah, it's a big game. And I, I think for the Timbers, uh, I mean, this team hasn't lost four in a row since um, at least 2012. I'd have to look back at the 2012 schedule, but they never did under Caleb Porter. Mm -hmm. uh, three in a row, only once under Caleb Porter. Um, and, and they're going into another stretch, like I said, of three games in seven days. So if they start that new stretch where they're supposed to have had that learning experience from the week before by losing or, or having a poor performance, even a draw um, where they don't feel that they played well. I mean, any draw is not going to be uh, it's going to be disappointing at home yeah. against your rival, especially if they don't play well. And then they have to turn around again and play uh, on Wednesday and then go on the road and play on Saturday. It's going to be a really tough stretch for them. And Giovanni Savarese had been talking about the stretch going back to last month, yeah. too. So he knew it was happening. And that, that leads into our first listener question. Uh, Malcolm asks, is Giovanni Savarese's inability to manage the team lineup on short rest going to be the Timbers undoing based on the games in hand coming up? You've already kind of talked about that, or at least your fears. So to what degree do you think people should be worried about this? Yeah, I mean, I'm worried about it. I think that if you want a little bit more to have a little bit more confidence, I guess, a little bit more positivity. You do look at the beginning of the season when the Timbers um, had those first two games that they lost and things weren't going right and, and they had some time to go back. I think that was the point when they had that one-week break and they were able yeah. to go back and go back to the drawing board and you saw an immediate change in their performance um, in, in the tactics and the way the team was looked in terms of being bought in. They don't have, obviously, an extra week to work on things right now, but they have a full week leading up to the Seattle game at home to, to get to get back on the field, work on what they need to work on, make the tactical changes they need to make. And so there's, uh, there is, you can look back on that and say, yeah, Savarese has shown that when his team gets off track, he knows how to get them back going the right way. Mm -hmm. um, I think there has to be real changes, and I don't like how this last compacted stretch go went. Um, and, and I do have worries, but 
I, I'm not going to just assume that Savaresi can't doesn't have the ability to get this team back on track. I feel like I should save this for my hot take, but I have no problem with the lineups that Giovanni Savaresi selected over last week. I have no problem with the order in which he selected them. I have no problem with those than I did the lineups that he selected and the order he selected them in for the short rest stretch down in Los Angeles against LAFC. I think this is a pure mentality thing. Um, I, I say mentality, and I think some people are going to hear that I'm putting it on the players, and to a certain extent I am. But it's also the coach's responsibility to, one, make sure that the mentality is intact, and two, recognize on a player-by-player basis when the mentality is fail, fail, failing and flailing and use the depth that has been acquired for Savarese. So I think it goes hand-in-hand. Hand. But I actually looked at that lineup that was selected for the sporting game and just said, this team is capable of keeping a clean sheet. All of those players had played before, I think with the exception of Marco Farfan, who's only played, I think, two or three games. They've all played prominent roles this year before. They've all been part of teams that produced results before. Christian Paredes started in Atlanta. Andres Flores started against NYCFC. I just think the team has lost its edge, and that is more important than the lineup. It's more important than the tactics right now. It will be interesting to see how potentially Milano and Viafania get integrated. Obviously, they weren't available on this last trip. The Timbers should have some more depth um, mm-hmm. with being able to integrate them. And I still... Ridgewell was injured. Um, and Ooh, let's talk about Ridgewell. In this uh, last, uh, last stretch. Um, Mike asks, is Ridgewell too stubborn by not playing... Wait, is Ridgewell too stubborn by not playing Ridgewell? <laughs> I, think, I think I wrote that wrong. Is Sover- Jamie Goldberg. That was probably my fault. Is Journalism Sover-Essi. fail. <laughs> yeah. Is Savaresi too wow, stubborn? Wow, I never make mistakes like that. Um, is Savaresi essentially being stubborn by not playing Ridgewell, even though uh, it could potentially benefit the team, I think is what Mike is asking. Yeah. I, I, like I said... Ridgewell was injured this last week, as far as the team is telling us, and um, as far as the injury report says, there's no reason to not believe that. Um, he has, throughout the season, picked up little knocks here and there that have uh, and been held out for specific games. If he's, But clearly, there's been a stretch where he has been healthy, been back with the team, that Savarese hasn't uh, played him. So... I would really like to see Ritual back in there, especially says with Cascante, um, you know, being a little bit of a younger player uh, and also having some errors. I, I don't, like I said, this stretch, I wouldn't necessarily blame Cascante um, for the specific goals that were given up or anything like that. But I, I would like to see with the defense having these struggles right now, bringing in a veteran who has experience, who has done a good job of leading this team in the past, back into the lineup seems like it makes a lot of sense if he's healthy to go. And so I hope that that is something on the table still if Ridgewell gets back to full health. Um, the injuries and thing obviously is something that we have to pay attention to. We can't just assume that Sarvesi is sitting him for no reason. But the fact that he hasn't been able to get back in the lineup is concerning to me as to what's going on because I, I think he can provide a lot for this team and I think right now they need to be able to use some depth on defense um, when they've been struggling and seeing the same back line game in and game out pretty much when they, they've been seeing the goals they've been conceding has been worrisome. Dang, you had a lot of thoughts on Liam Ridgewell. I do, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I think that's a good explanation or good viewpoint. I don't have anything to add. I do. I think the question is interesting because I think it speaks to how somebody from the outside needs a little bit more depth on this than they're gonna they're getting right now, and then they're gonna get. Is Savarese being too stubborn by not playing Ridgewell? It's just the nature of sports that coaches don't talk like that, and players usually don't talk like that too because they want to maintain their uh, relationship with their coach. They don't come out and say. 
I am being too stubborn. I think the coach is being too stubborn. And unless we know what the relationship is, even somebody as close to the situation as I am, it's really hard to tell because you don't know all of the reasons that go into Giovanni's Savarese selection. If he's honestly, during those times that Liam Ridgewell is healthy, saying, I honestly just don't think that he's better than Julio Cascante right now. That's not stubbornness. Maybe that's an error in evaluation, but that's his job to make those decisions. That's not stubbornness. So, Mike, I think this is a great question, but I also just think that there's never really going to be a time where somebody like me or even somebody like Jamie is going to be in a good position to answer that because coaches have no incentive to admit when they're being too stubborn. And even if they did, are they in a position to judge that for themselves? Yeah. Um, let's go on to another question and then we'll get to the Haley Rosso interview. A lot of great questions this week. Unfortunately, Jamie and I are going long again. Um, do you want to go with Michael's question? Sure. Uh, Michael asks, when will we see Jorge Villafaña and Lucas Milano play? Yeah. Well, We've got a little glimpse of Lucas Milano. Played 30 minutes on uh, Sunday for T2. Uh, a lot of people don't know this because he didn't get on the score sheet or anything. But that's his first action since being back, which I thought was hilarious. It's like, Lucas Milano, congratulations on playing in Copa Libertadores, helping your team get out of group. Here's the USL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that if, they, if they're healthy enough and fit, they, this would be the week to integrate them with the with the. Com- compacted schedule to the first two games of that con- compacted schedule being at home. So I think either Seattle or, or turning around to that Wednesday game um, against Toronto. Yep. Yes. The, um, yeah. The, the two uh, conference winners back to back in yep. four, four days. So I think that would be a great time to integrate uh, mm-hmm. some of your depth pieces that big um, transfer window moves, especially when you have seen what trying to play the same lineup does yeah. in a, in a, in last week's compacted schedule. So I expect to see them unless there's um, questions about fitness or health that we don't know about mm-hmm. um, in this next week. Yeah, I don't want to comment on Viafania because I just haven't seen him play at all. I know that Lucas, the Friday before the team left at least, was working on the same field with the team, if not integrated with the team. He obviously is fit to play. He played for T2. Viafania, I haven't seen one minute. I, it's kind of the reason I wanted to go to practice today, but uh, I'll be out of practice tomorrow. We're recording from the stadium as practice is going on. But as of right now, Jorge Viafania is a question mark. And um, based on the rate at which players have been integrated in the past, I I think it's a little bit presumptuous to think that he's going to play in the next couple games. But for the reasons that you just cited, I don't think we should be surprised either. Let's do one more listener question. Uh, Tom and Michael? Yeah, the, I think and a few other people asked the same one, oh, surprisingly. I thought they were sharing a Twitter account, no. which I thought was adorable. <laughs> uh, Tom and Michael and some others that I saw to, to ask, is the departure of Sean McCauley, who was a former assistant coach here who left for Orlando two weeks ago, a factor in the Timbers' recent losing streak? When will we see a replacement? You go ahead and answer because I just had to bite my tongue on something. <laughs> I, I think in terms of seeing replacements, obviously said they were already in the process of identifying candidates and making interviews. And so I think that that's something we're going to see soon. I would expect that. Very soon. Um, yeah. From Very what, soon. From what? <laughs> maybe, yeah. I, I From everything I've heard, it sounded like that was a process that was underway and was going to be finished up soon. We obviously haven't heard anything official as of yet. In term- Very soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. In terms of um, Sean McCauley's leaving, 
I, I can't really say that. I, I, I doubt that that is much of a factor in the recent losing streak. Obviously, he was a coach that he was out there, but his job was ultimately to, to be sort of um, to follow the instructions from Savaresi and convey that to the players. And I don't feel like he isn't, he isn't the guy making decisions in the lineup. He might have some input um, to Savaresi that he might take from all his assistant coaches. But McCauley is there ultimately as support to Savaresi. And I would be surprised if losing an assistant coach is the difference between a team being a winning team and a losing team. No, I think it's a good question. I think all questions are good right now, given what's happened to the team. But look, the tactics haven't changed. The lineup selections haven't changed. The only thing that has changed is the execution. Um, and we've talked about why that might have changed. Was it player mentality or what is it? Is it fatigue? Um, but the same decisions that were being made when Sean McCauley was here are being made now. I also just think that from the outside, these are kind of dangerous questions to ask because one, it takes some agency away from the head coach. You're kind of implying that the head coach is, uh, more reliant on his assistance that he should be in it. In that way, you're implying that the head coach is either incapable or unwilling to make decisions for himself. And maybe that's actually the case. Maybe it is the case that there are uh, head coaches out there that let their style and their tactics and everything else be determined by valued, trusted people on their staff. Uh, but that's, again, really hard to tell from the outside and um, it, really hard to answer. But my ans- my best answer is based on the lineups, based on the tactics – I think there's every reason to believe that nothing on that front has changed, that Sean, while valuable, is not the reason why these games are being lost. All right, let's stop talking about the team that lost. <laughs> let's start talking a little bit about the team that didn't lose, although it kind of felt like a loss a little bit yeah. on Saturday. 2-2, Thorns, Red Stars. We got Haley Rosso coming up, but let's tease a little bit what we're going to do in the next segment. Give me your quick take on what your reaction was to the Thorns drawing the Red Stars on Saturday. <sighs> Mostly a disappointment. I, I think the comeback was... Uh, a Goldberg 30. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good comeback to see um, that, that they didn't just give up or something after that. But yeah, um, given the state of the season, we'll get into more, but a little bit disappointing. I'm imagining like a periodic chart of elements that is just like a Goldberg one. And there's like a picture of something. Maybe, I don't know, it's a scrunched up piece of paper or something <laughs> like that. A Goldberg 30 is like, I don't know, like a disassembled alarm clock or something like that. And then a Goldberg 90 is like a piece of gold, but that's shaped like an iceberg. So it's a Goldberg. <laughs> All right. With that, let's get to our interview. Haley Rasso talked to me after practice on Tuesday. Uh, Jamie's eye doctor screwed her out of being a part of the interview. But here's me and Haley Rasso kind of joking around the same way we do during practices. So hopefully you enjoy it. Okay. I'm going to try to get you to talk about soccer as little as possible. Oh, really? Well, yeah. Just because I still kind of have a beef with you from when you returned and you and Magda tried to convince me that Australia has flying dogs. <laughs> you don't remember that? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. So we were looking up something. Magda was trying to convince me that Australia has flying dogs. Yeah, I remember now. I don't know why we convinced you that and not like kangaroos as pets or like something more realistic like obviously we don't have flying dogs (laughs) i don't know you guys showed me a picture of it and all of a sudden i was believing it but it was just a big bat basically i think magda actually thinks that a bat is like a flying dog because it's so big but it's just a bat you think this is a german to english translation thing yeah now i'm confused i don't really know (laughs) but you did end up telling me the story about cell being attacked by magplies oh yeah 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 well she used to go riding and when we lived in canberra and played for canberra together um, yeah, should go walk or ride, and there are magpies around, and they just swoop you. Yeah. It's kind of scary. Yeah, like you're walking along, you walk near like one of their nests. I think they're trying to like protect their eggs or something, and they just swoop you. But 
is, how big is a magpie? That is way bigger than I thought. I thought you were just going to make a fist. No, like, it's a proper bird. Yeah, well, for people who can't actually see what you're doing, <laughs> Haley just made a size of maybe a little smaller than a rugby ball. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. I would be freaked out. But yeah, it's scary. But it's pretty funny because like if you're ever driving along in a car and see somebody getting swooped, you know, they're running along the street, like ducking and the bird's coming down. But they're dangerous. I've been swooped many times. You're saying swoop. They just come and... Swoop, yeah, and just like try and like claw you on the head. See, this feeds into every American sphere of Australia because we just think that you have this array of killer animals. It's true. We do. do. (laughs) Yes, we do. What part of Australia did you grow up in? Uh, so I'm from the Gold Coast. Okay. Yeah. So you weren't super inland or anything? No, like right on the beach. But there's sharks too. Yeah. You weren't like Ellie who was wrestling no, kangaroos no. and cowra? Sorry, I have to be sure to say Ellie. Ellie. Yeah, because I've talked you to good. you about this. You did okay. good. Good, 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 good. <laughs> yeah. Americans are so ignorant about geography. We think that Australia is crawling with like kangaroos, oversized tarantulas, and dragons. Um, no dragons, but yes, Spiders, snakes, yeah. magpies, mm. um, sharks, sharks. Yes, there's a few dangerous ones, yeah. Um, but yeah, the size of our spiders I think is what gets people because being over here, I you know I see one that's like a mm-hmm. twenty five cent yeah. coin, um, and in Australia they're like <laughs> they're like the size of like a blue star yes like they are big okay i don't know how much longer i want to do this conversation my american (laughs) is coming out but you do seem like somebody who is a connoisseur or an expert of the differences between americans and aussies because it seems like you have a lot of views on the words that we are and aren't saying i feel like i've been here for so long that uh, i've picked up on you know all those things and i mean I think it's more so now because Ellie and Caitlin are here that I have somebody that, you know, like somebody says something wrong and I used to just be like, oh, well, I'm not going to laugh about it. But now, you know, someone says something and I'm like, listen to the way they say herbs or like, you know what I mean? There's more people we like joke about it or I say something and the Americans don't understand me, but those two understand me. So No, no, we understand you. Not my slang. Your slang? Okay, give me an example of your slang. I don't know. I can't do it on the spot. (laughs) I can't. This is the whole reason you're on the podcast. We're recording this for posterity. <laughs> I don't know. Six years from now, when you have 120 caps, somebody is going to bring this out of the archives and go, look, Rasa was on the spot. She couldn't come up with I one can't. piece of slang. Uh, I don't think I could either. Now I'm just imagine you and Ellie and Caitlin walking around, sometimes Sella's with you, sometimes Sonny's with you. Now I think you're just going to be walking around Portland making fun of Americans. No, we're not. We're actually not. They're probably making more fun of us, if anything. So, yeah. But it's good. It's a good laugh. I guess that's what I was about to say. Uh, we tend to make fun of each other. Yeah. Or at least you guys are not mean-spirited about it. Yeah, we make the joke, so. I did want to ask you about some soccer stuff. I okay. guess your former coach today at Washington today parted from the spirit. I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you about that. But what I did want to ask you about is since the time you came from Washington, you've had such a rise. Your profile your playing time, the roles that you've had. I wanted to know, identity-wise, what is it like for you looking back on where you were at that point in your life compared to where you are right now? Yeah, it, it's amazing for me to look back because I feel like it, when I look back, it was like three, 
years ago now. Like I've been in Portland for so long, and it's three years. years. I think it's, it seems like it's only been like a year and a well, half. This is my third yeah, no, year here. It just seems like your rise here has been so steep. It's just been I like know, is that. Oh, like this is the Haley Rosso that's supposed to be Haley Rosso. Yeah, I think like oh, I used to play at Spirit, but really it was it was so long ago. But I think I've come so far from. You know, when I was playing at Spirit, I was I was new. It was my first time in the NWSL. Um, I feel like I've developed a lot from being here at Portland, from playing under Mark and from playing with all the players that I do here that even, you know, it's pushed me to grow in the national team. Whereas, you know, I go back to Australia and I'm playing and I'm starting with the national team. So it's just been like leaps and bounds for me, but I'm really enjoying it. And I think that helps too. It certainly seems like you're enjoying it. When you came back in this year, you had your knee injury. You were still recovering from that. Do you feel like you're back at the level you were at last season? Yeah, I think so. I think now. Um, it took me a little bit uh, with the knee, you know, going through the rehab and the recovery and then getting back into it and only being allowed to play five minutes, mm-hmm. ten minutes, slowly progressing. But I think at the point I'm at now, I'm I'm 100%. I'm playing like I'm at 100%. There's no restrictions with my knee or with any other niggle or injury. Um, <laughs> niggle. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. We kind of say that. You say that? Uh, I think we inherited that from the Brits, though. Yeah. I just realised maybe you don't know what I just said. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, so, no, I'm, I'm definitely feeling good, and I think I'm 100% and, and loving it. It shows on the field, too. I remember when you first got back from Australia and how you were walking around with that brace, just like anybody with your injury would. But you were kind of reckless about it. I remember everybody being really nervous about the fact that you, you were trying to run too soon. You were trying to do ball work too soon. Everybody was a little bit freaked out by that, Haley. Yeah. Can you describe that feeling? I've been through a knee injury too. I kind of know what it's like for people to tell you, don't do this. And you're thinking, I just want my life back. I think it's just really difficult because you get an injury like that. Well, for me, I haven't had an injury where I'm actually on the sideline for so long. And they say, oh, it'll be eight weeks. Mm -hmm. So you have this plan in your head that at eight weeks, you will be ready to go. And it hits that eight week mark and you're kind of like, oh, I'm still wearing this knee brace or I still can't train properly. And it's hard you know, to, to keep looking forward. So you can't, I don't know, for me, I feel like I always want like a, a deadline. I'm going to be ready at this exact date, which I know is unrealistic. So I think when it got to a point where I felt like I, I wanted to play again, I, I was running around with, with the brace on. This. Yeah, but look where you're at though. I mean, you, you yeah. knew what you were doing all along. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I know my own body, but. I, I think <laughs> yeah. you definitely qualify as an expert on that. Yeah, so. I did wear the brace around training for a little while, but it was just like that slow progression and eventually I got there. Do you think that you having to play basically nonstop, the Aussies have to go between the NWSL and the W League, do you think that nonstop play has anything to do with your injury? Because you were getting a few niggles here and there even before you had to stop playing with the knee problem. Yeah, I mean, it probably does affect us a little bit because... Yeah, like you said, it's been so four years now where I've gone from season to season and then throw in the national team with that. It's it's nonstop. Um, I think I try to look like they try to look after us and we try to look after ourselves as best we can. But, I mean, I'm sure it does play a factor into, you know, overloading and coming into that game. I think I did just get myself into a bad challenge and I knew at the time that I'd hurt my knee. Like, yeah. it was such a strange feeling, but... 
It would be nice to have a break. <laughs> Just a couple of weeks. I think I need it. Maybe after the <laughs> yeah. World Cup next year or something like that, yeah. maybe later. It's always, it's always another time, another time. <laughs> I had a couple more questions, but I only want to ask one more serious soccer questions because I'm not having as much fun with the <laughs> soccer questions as the other stuff we were talking about before. But one thing I ask all of the Aussies is just the rise of your national team from a young group that had to prove itself to where you are now, where a lot of people would consider you right there with the U.S. going into next summer's tournament as one of the favorites. Do you agree with that assessment? And what do you think your team is capable of next summer in France? Yeah, I think we were looked at as, you know, a team that that couldn't compete or a team that was a little bit of an underdog. And we had a lot of young players and we were trying to develop them. And then we came out, you know, the Tournament of Nations last year, uh, the very first Tournament of Nations. And I think that that kind of showed people that we are a good team, definitely from that point, because we, you know, competed with Brazil, Japan, and then beat the US for the first time in a long time. Um, and then we went back home, you know, had games on Australian soil. We turned it like the people that came out were there were so many people there and there hadn't been before so I think that that those games and that win at the tournament of nations like kind of took took us off showed you know the rest of Australia the rest of the world that we we are a team that probably can compete and now looking forward to the to the world cup and the olympics I think it's a good place for us to be in Okay, no more soccer questions. The one thing I really wanted to ask you about is something that you've been doing with your spare time, and I don't think you know that I know this about you, but you've been actually studying to be an EMT. Uh, yeah, paramedic. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same. I don't know either, actually. This is, this is you. Uh, a paramedic, yeah. Okay. So how did you get into this? Um, oh, ever since I was little, I knew I wanted to be a paramedic. Um, so as soon as I finished high school, you know, I applied for university and I, I managed to get into the course. So um, I studied straight out of school and then obviously had to defer a little bit when I started coming overseas. Um, but I got back into it again this year to finish off my degree. So that's what I've been basically doing in my spare time. When I'm not doing soccer, I'm studying or, you know, getting my assessments or my exams done. So you could actually pre perform first aid on somebody right now? Yes. Whoa, how do we test this? <laughs> we don't. What are, you, what are you talking about? Okay, if something drastic happened during a game, you could just take care of it, right? Yeah, yes, basically. But I mean, I wouldn't. What if you were the person that inflicted the damage? Like, what if you went a little bit too hard into somebody? Would you then be like, okay, we need a split? A <laughs> That's why we have the medical or... staff. <laughs> It sounds like you're pretty qualified, though. Uh, um, I wouldn't say I'm pretty qualified, but, um, I mean, I'm learning all of this stuff and I'm getting there. And I think I have a year and a half left of my study and then okay. I'll be... Okay, okay. Because I was going to plan some elaborate way to test you in a year and a half, maybe get somebody to fake pass out. Yeah, maybe. But maybe that's <laughs> not going to happen. But how soon are we going to lose you from the soccer world where you're going to pursue your medical dreams? Uh... I don't really look at it like that. I think I'm just trying to get it done whilst I can. So because I can play soccer and in my spare time I can do my study and I think it's going to help me so that when eventually I am finished with soccer I will have that there, you know, to go into. But it's definitely not like, oh, I'm going to go and be a paramedic next year and stop playing soccer because I'm really enjoying the place I'm at now and, you know, playing here in Portland and with the national team. So. 
All right, we are back. I can't believe I just decided I'm going to intro us back. That's a first <laughs> that I'd be just usurping your control. Totally fine. Um, yeah, it was great to hear from Haley Rosso. Always wish I could have been part of that conversation, but I did throw some questions your way before I yes. before I uh, all the soccer got questions caught in the traffic on the way here. So um, especially with a tough week, it's nice to <laughs> nice to have an interview. I know everybody warned us about this, but I still make the mistake of going into these places that a month ago people told us not to drive into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we could. I could have plenty of uh, not really hot takes, but uh, rants about uh, <laughs> the traffic in Portland this summer, but. Instead, let's have rants about soccer. <laughs> yes. Why don't we even have hot takes and gather them into an interlude and name it after our former co-host, Chris Reifer, yeah. and have a Chris Reifer Memorial hot take interlude? <laughs> you want to go first or second this week? Sure. I'll go first. Okay. Um, I think this was a big discussion point on Twitter last week, uh, last Wednesday, leading up to the Seattle uh, Chicago NWSL game. Um, there was announcements coming out. People were wondering, are they going to change the game because of the air quality in Seattle, which was just horrendous. Um, so bad that public schools <laughs> were being let out. Yeah. Go home to your parents Terrible. rather than die here. <laughs> and so before the game, it comes out, you know, they're going to play it. And, and I think that surprised everyone to begin with. And to play it, they're going to have to have a break every 15 minutes. They're going to have to have <laughs> medical staff from the University of Washington on call at the field to make sure players are okay. Every time your lungs open up, stop. Yeah. Stop. And at that point, I, I just I just couldn't believe they went through with this game. Yeah. T2 also played here. So Their bad. quality wasn't as bad here in Portland as it was in Seattle. I think when it gets to the degree, when you have to t- stop every 15 minutes, you're basically not even having a game at that point. There's no rhythm or momentum or anything happening. It, it's a terrible game to watch and not really fair when you look at the results. And you're putting the players' health at risk. <laughs> Why are you playing this game? I understand rescheduling is difficult, especially at this point in the season, especially when you're gearing up to playoffs. But I don't think there's ever an excuse to put players' health at risk. And if you have to stop every 15 minutes and you have to have a medical uh, professional, an extra medical professional on the sideline to monitor players' health. I played beer league, essentially softball last night. Um, The lowest of the low, hardly even working out. And I was regretting that decision the entire time as I was sitting, looking at the air and seeing the haze in the sky. And I can't believe that professional athletes were forced to play with similar type air quality in Seattle last week. Um, An actual game where you are exerting yourself um, and running and sprinting. So this i feel like i have so many rants here about nwsl doing thing i don't think doing things i don't think this is necessarily just an nwsl thing i think leagues always want to try to get games in but i think that was a mistake yeah no i walked a mile yesterday just to go home and my lungs were already starting to tingle a little bit <laughs> my throat was but it also reminded me i used to live in la and walk around and i felt like that every day in la i mean la is t- you used to live Wait, close but, to la but when we were in college softball in la ncaa um division three they did not allow us to play when the air quality hit a certain level. We had to go inside. Yeah, I don't think anybody else would consider softball as cardiovascularly intense as soccer. So we had to go inside in Los Angeles because of air quality. Why in the world was Seattle playing Chicago last week? I I think that maybe that explains why there were no goals in that game and only five shots on target and everybody just tried to get off the field as soon as possible. I do think it should be a professional league standard that you're not playing a game in the same conditions you would find on the surface of Mercury. I think that's not too much to ask. Like, hey, is the air breathable? Are we going to com- spontaneously combust at any moment? Is it possible flaming objects from the sky could fall on us? All of those things need to be a no, I think. And 
let's be honest at least one of those questions was a yes on wednesday so i completely agree with you um but as is tradition with you and me, it's not a hot take at all. Like, you know, not, not I think it's playing, a rant segment. Yeah, not playing in a flammable sky. Um, but like you said, it's a rant segment. We need a new sponsor for the rant segment. We'll have to put the Chris Pfeiffer <laughs> Memorial interlude to bed, although he was known for a rant or two. But who who should we name the rant segment after? Well, maybe we could name it after John Spencer or something like that. <laughs> um, my hot take, which I do think maybe is a little – no, this is like the definition of a hot take actually is where you take like a small sample and blow it out of proportion – but I don't think I'm doing that, so it's perfect for this segment. I actually don't think we're making enough of a deal about this three-game losing streak. As much as everybody is worried about it, as much as people are asking, oh, are, is Gio making the right decisions, uh, this and that, like, can we play a game without Chara? Never mind that the same problems that existed without Chara were there with Chara four days before. I think that this is a major issue for the team, mostly because this is the first time that this group has had to go through something like this. This is the first time that they have seen the level they can actually be at and know that it truly is unacceptable. Now, when they responded from the Red Bulls loss earlier this year, like you said, they had two weeks to do so. But there was there was an urgency kind of like, wow, like we're really, we have to prove to ourselves we're at least a team. That we're at least a team that can compete at this point. They have proven that and more. Their standards is are kind of at this point to compete at the top of the Western Conference. And they were really short of that standard. So much so that I think we have to ask, is that standard reasonable? I wrote a little bit about this yesterday and I kind of said, it's reasonable because we've seen them do it. So it's not unreasonable. But they have to get it through their mind that they are actually that team. And how they manage that mental game is going to go a long way to whether whether we are making too big a deal out of this or not. So I am legitimately concerned is the, a wrong word because I'm not concerned. That's just what we say when we talk about sports and stuff and the teams that we cover. But in that context, I am concerned about the Timbers. I'm very concerned about the Timbers. Yeah. Um, I, I think as we talked about a little bit earlier, um, we maybe weren't making as big of deals we need to um, out of the homestand and, yeah. and sort of how we could fe- sort of feel the unbeaten streak coming to an end, um, even though they were getting results. Uh, so this has been, I, I want to say, you know, about a month or so um, where this team hasn't been at the level we want to see them at and definitely not the level of a team that's going to compete for the top of the Western Conference. So it's not just the losing streak. This team hasn't looked like a top Western Conference team in a little bit. And something needs to change if they're going to have any hope in getting back there. Absolutely. Now, talking about teams that have gotten back there, the Thorns have gone through their struggles this season. They're now looking in pretty good shape. Third place in the NWSL, have a game at hand on a couple of teams. They look like they're likely to be in the playoffs, although that's not assured. And it would be a little bit more assured if they actually got a win this weekend. You talked a little bit about your reaction to this. Let's go through the predictions. The 2-2 results, you came very close. (laughs) A 3-2 win for the Thorns. I kind of get the feeling, though, that the spirit of the game on that one, you were kind of predicting that the Thorns would be a lot more dangerous a lot more often than they actually were. So how many points are you going to give yourself? I'm going to give myself four points. I got it pretty close. No, give yourself more than that. No, I don't. I, <laughs> I'm too disappointed coming out of the game, so I'm I'm giving myself less. What's points. the name of the account that um, tweets us every Wednesday with a running score? Uh, I, I'm sorry, your username is different than your actual at, so I don't know which one to refer to you as. But if you're keeping track on this, give Jamie seven points, not four, <laughs> because she's just wrong on that. Like, use your judgment as the judge to give her more points, because four is way too harsh. <laughs> Actually, why am I fighting for you? No, yeah, give her give her less than four for changing <laughs> things. Um, my side bet was that the Thorns would be awarded at least one penalty. I actually think maybe they could have been. No, 
I'm thinking of the wrong penalty box. There was a point at which Casey Short went through the back of Lindsey Horan and kind of gave her whiplash in the first half. Amid other controversies, people are forgetting about that. But that did not happen in Chicago's penalty area, so that wouldn't have been a penalty kick. So I actually think, based on your harsh scoring standards, you should probably give me negative points for this one. <laughs> I will just give you zero. Um, so I guess I, I guess I'm being nice to you this week, not you, trying to pull. You're pull my always score up nice too much. to me this week, and it makes me look bad. But okay. Yeah. So I, I mean, going into the Red Stars game, it's another poor start for the Thorns, and Chicago's a good team. It, it's not like. They're playing a team that obviously had a lot to lose in this game, too. There's was going to be a hard-fought game to begin with. It wasn't going to be easy for the Thorns, but they are at home, and they're a team that still has in their mind that they can get up to second place in the standings, which is still possible, but it's looking uh, less and less likely less when they're likely. dropping points like this. So yeah. I think it's disappointing, especially at this point in the season. From a team that we've seen historically play their best soccer at the end of the year, we're still coming out of games saying... We, they weren't good enough for this portion of the game. They The mentality wasn't right for this portion of the game. In the past, this team has been able to do that. This team has been able to just dominate towards the end of the season. And we just haven't seen them play their best, um, just go into a game and, or go into a few games and string together a string of really, really good performances. And so I wish I would like to see more from this team at this point in the season. Have you been watching All or Nothing on Amazon Prime? <laughs> no. Okay, one, this isn't a band that you haven't heard of. I this, know. <laughs> but you know what it is, All or no- Nothing? It's that do- it's that docuseries about Manchester City that oh, just yeah. came out. Yeah, yeah. So I binged it over the last couple of days. And there was a point towards the end of the Premier League season last year where Pep Guardiola goes into the room. And he basically explains, you know, all teams are going to have down points in their game. I think he was talking about this after um, – the team lost 3 nothing in Champions League first leg to Liverpool. He said all teams are going to have uh, points where they're not good during the games, but how you manage them. If you have to kick more long balls, if you have to play back a little bit more, if you have to slow down play, that's what you have to do. You have to manage those down spells. And I'm kind of reminded of that every time we focus too much on starts of games. And I, th- I feel weird saying this because your view of the Timbers' poor starts of games really turned out to portend something that we should have been more worried about. And the Thorns have fallen into that pattern where they were worse in the first half against Carolina, worse in the first 10 minutes against Orlando, worse in the first 55 minutes against Chicago. For me, teams go through bad stretches. The other thing about this game, and remember how obsessive I was about the North Carolina games? Oh, I'd watch this over and over again. And it was the same thing here. And I realized what it was. In both cases, I don't think the reaction to how the team played matched the actual guts of how the team played. And when I went back and looked at this first half, and the first half was really, really focused on because once Sam Kerr scored, the game changed. What I saw was a Thorns team that wasn't playing at their best, but they were going up against a very talented team that was winning pretty much all the 50-50s for the first 15 minutes of the game. And then the Thorns seemed to get discouraged, and that's where Chicago really came into the game and started controlling it. I didn't look at that as the Thorns were playing bad. I looked at that as the Thorns are playing a really good team and need to respond. The same way I looked at the Carolina game. So I think part of this is that we need to give credit to Carolina. We need to give credit to Chicago. And the other thing is, okay, how do the Thorns go from a 5 out of 10 in those moments where they would have been fine against almost any other team to realize they can never be below a 7 or an 8 against Carolina And the way Chicago is playing, maybe we have to add Chicago to that list too. Maybe we have to add Seattle to that list. And maybe the Thorns are not one of the top. I mean, once you're getting into that point, you're saying that the Thorns aren't what they think they are. 
I mean, well, the Thorns still came back to draw this, and they almost came back to draw against Carolina. But while I think Chicago is a very good team, the Thorns have to, I mean, the Thorns clearly have to be better in these moments. And at least if they're going to have a bad stretch, they have to find a way to not have that bad stretch equal goals, equal concessions. I mean, I think. On one hand, I'm not comfortable with the standard that says they can never drop points at home against a team of Chicago standards without us being understanding of it, particularly when Sam Kerr, with the help of Emily Sonner on the first goal, has a great individual effort. And then Sam Kerr, with the help of Emily Sonner on the second goal, uh, gets that gets a header. We have to be more flexible in our standards of how we evaluate teams than just going purely by the bottom lines. And I'm not saying you're doing that, by the way, because I don't think you are. But I think that's our reaction to these games like wow we expected three points we didn't get it that's a disappointment true on one level but when we're evaluating this team and its capabilities going forward when i look at that game i say the thorns weren't their best that game they're not going to be their best every game and they still responded they got a draw and there are obvious things that we can expect them to be better at going forward i think for a regular season game that's not a bad picture no but for a regular season game at the very end of the season, I think you have to have higher standards versus a regular season game on the, in the second week of the year. This but, team is yeah. Yeah. every point matters, and that's just what it comes down to. It this is going to be the difference between hosting a home playoff game or even making playoffs. It depending on how they do now in the next three games, and had they picked up the win there, that would have already made a big difference in that race. But now it's gonna—I mean, it's really going to come down to this week, um, which which we're going to get into if they don't get the job done against weaker teams this week. If they have bad stretches where they allow teams like sky blue and Washington to score and they, maybe they just have a little bit of a bad few moments and sky blue or Washington takes advantage with a good play. We can't be saying, Oh, well that was just, they were overall really good. It is the difference between what this team is going to be this season. And I think for me, the points just matter so much right now. And this team has shown that they have the mentality to play their best soccer at the end of the year, to be consistent, to have long stretches of good soccer, to deal with the few bad stretches without conceding goals. In the past, they have done that. That's why they've won five of six games to close out the regular seasons in 2016 and 2017. They haven't been able to do that yet this year. If they stumble against Sky Blue or Washington, it's not going to be because of what happened on Saturday. That is true, yes. If they play like they did on Saturday, if they played like they did against North Carolina, they win the next two games easily. Yeah, but then even so, do they win? Do they beat Seattle to close the season and potentially get that second? I mean, I place? Th- I think they probably do, but I do think it is in that band of uncertainty that we would like the Thorns to be out of. At the same time, I look at that Chicago team and I go eleven for eleven in their players. You see the way that Casey Short was just amazing at right back. Amazing is a little bit strong, but able to match up with one of the best one-on-one players in the world and you're just like wow you see Aaron Gilliland on the other side and you're just like that person's not even a national team member and look at her quality look at Vanessa DiBernardo almost stealing that game at the end with that shot that AD Franch has to make save and you you kind of look and you're like they have those type of players all over the field yeah. like Katie Naughton might have been the best def- central <laughs> defender on the field and you're just like oh my god she's like the least renowned of the central defenders on the field and I think just at some point you have to acknowledge with Chicago with North Carolina that This is a high standard. We know North Carolina is a high standard. We can look at the table. But Chicago is a team very much like the Thorns that we're only going to be good come this time of the year. And so to see that they're about on the same level as the Thorns, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. One, it's a compliment to how good that the Thorns are that Sam Kerr goes off. Chicago plays one of the best games that they've ever played against Portland, and they still find a way to get a draw. But I do... 
I want to stop pushing back against what you're saying because what you're essentially saying is the thorns have to find a way to be better. And I think to a certain extent that's undeniable and to a certain extent based on what we saw on Saturday, I think that's probably going to happen going forward. So looking ahead, obviously I allude to it, but this is a huge week for the thorns. They'll play Sky Blue um, on Wednesday here at Providence Park, 8 p.m. kickoff. Um, and then they'll then they'll go on the road and play Washington. A Washington at, team that just changed their coach this morning. <laughs> yeah. um, on Saturday at 5 p.m. at Audi Field, which will be interesting to see yeah. um, them playing at Audi Field. Um, but obviously, these are the two worst teams in the league. The only teams right now that I think are eliminated from playoff contention. Yes. Uh, and this, this is six points that Thorns need. Oh, no question about that. And like we were just talking about, there's going to be this tendency, if there is a stumble, to say, well, we saw like the Thorns play like that against North Carolina and Chicago. This is an apples to watermelons comparison between these teams. Like if the Thorns play down to Sky Blue's level and down to Washington's level, it'll be at a lower level than we saw them ever play against Carolina and Chicago. But like you kind of said or you alluded to, we have seen them both play at that level this year and at a level far above it. Like everybody who listens to this podcast probably remembers the last Sky Blue game where the Thorns were lucky to get out of there with a 2-1 win. They had a good start and then just let Sky Blue back into that game. And of course, this is Thorns drew with Sky Blue, yeah. the last visit here. By the way, Sky Blue is playing much better now than they were then. <sighs> Sky Blue is not the worst team in this league right now. They have the worst record, but this weekend they almost beat Utah at home. They really outplayed them. They outplayed about half the teams they've faced over the last couple of months. If the Thorns have a bad game, they're going to lose on Wednesday. Yeah, and uh, Sky Blue's motivated. They are motivated to not finish the season with zero wins. That is motivation. It's small motivation, but those players are going to – it's not like they're going to make playoffs, but those players are going to want to find that win, and they have limited opportunities to do that, and they know they've, from their standards, have done well against the Thorns. A lot of those players are playing for their professional lives right now. Even if Sky Blue is in the league next year, the team is going to be shaken up based on the results this year. Those players are going to have to – they're making their audition tapes for their next coach. And they're hoping that next coach is in the NWSL. In a lot of ways, that team is way hungrier than some of these other teams that uh, that the Thorns have faced. Maybe not hungrier than Chicago, but some of these other – definitely hungrier than Orlando. I mean, Orlando's looking like a wounded quail, uh, unable to find the finish line. But – that's the reality of it. This game is going to be tougher than the Orlando game. Yeah. And Orlando for 10 minutes scared the hell out of Thorns. Now, Washington, they're in a completely different situation because they just changed their coach today. And in a way, I think that's bad news for the Thorns, too, because you had this team that hadn't has only scored one goal since May. Really, by far, the, in terms of form, when you watch them, the worst team in the league. Well, now they get their coach out of there. They get somebody new in there. At a minimum, they're going to be a bad team that's less predictable. More likely scenario, they're going to be a bad team that has more incentive to play now than they did 24 hours ago. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I, I think that this is this is a t- not an easy schedule for the Thorns with the travel. Um, we got we got to mention that, but it's in their two games that I think with any team in the end, we saw their two games that the Thorns don't play well, they won't win. There, there's no gimme games in the NWSL. But the Thorns need to win these two games. If they're as good of a team as they they think they are, if they want any chance of second place, and if they want to assure that they're going to be in playoffs, because that is not assured at this point, they need to take advantage of these games against weak teams. Absolutely. Well, let's go to a couple of listener questions now before we go to predictions. Uh, my girl Emily with a question that's been on a lot of people's minds ever since news about Sky Blue started to come out about a month ago. There's been three different pieces detailing the conditions around the team there. 
Um, Emily asks, conditions in New Jersey haven't changed or improved based on the statement put out by Cloud9, which is the Sky Blue Supporters Group. How can other supporters groups and teams help? Uh, you want this one? Because I my answer is they can't. Yeah, I don't think there's much that um, other supporters groups, I think that was the main question that Emily asked. I added teams in there to see um, how you would draw but I don't think there's much that, that other people in the NWSL or I support groups can do at this point. Obviously, you could do something like put together a GoFundMe and, and help them pay for putting in better facilities. That would not be, that would just be a stopgap that wouldn't help in the long run. I think what needs to happen is that this season needs to come to an end in, in two, three weeks, and then Sky Blue needs to be dissolved. Yeah. I, I, we've seen other teams this is um, your coldest take ever by the way yeah <laughs> i mean we've seen other that happened to other teams in the nwsl in the last few years the nwsl overall i think has gotten stronger ownership groups in even though they went from 10 teams down to nine teams there are other teams out there they've talked about expansion there's other ownership groups that are interested they need to d- dissolve sky blue and get a better ownership group and, and move that team mm-hmm. uh, because the, i think the way the nwsl uh, in the past, it was talk about expansion, but I think the league has recognized they need to deal with the teams that aren't doing that aren't meeting standards before they can start expanding. And so, if Sky Blues in this league next year, for I honestly will be shocked. For me, and I, I'm I don't want to say I agree or disagree with all that, but look, it's obvious that every question that Jamie is answering with what she just said needs to be asked and needs to be asked louder and needs to be asked more often until there's some kind of solution for not just sky blue, but situations like this. But I also think a question that needs to be asked is look, sky blue hasn't changed since 2013, but clearly our standards for teams have, which is a good thing. You want the standards to increase, but I think we all need to ask ourselves as a culture around this game, why we were willing to overlook things five years ago. And given that, those things haven't changed why we're coming down so harshly now i think it needs to be a little bit more gradual but at the same time i think having people who are devoting their lives not only to the profession but keeping this league alive so it can be in a better place five six ten years from now i don't think it's fair to ask them to continue paying the price for other people's lack of ambition and i think that's what it really comes down to the players i just i'm tired of hearing about players having to sacrifice their own happiness to pursue to pursue a dream that is a reasonable dream that we all can provide for but is clearly not being provided for in all situations yeah it, the dream should be it shouldn't just be the players dreams the ownership groups should have the same dream whether or not that they're ah, getting there at this point they should have the, the same ambition situation. yeah if it, the ownership groups and the players should have the same ambition whether or not they financially are sustainable they shouldn't be on separate pages and it's clearly clear that the ownership group in sky blue um, is mostly absent. Jennifer asks a, a, a cross paradigm question. So we're going to have to access all of our Portland soccer knowledge here. Not all of it. I guess we can leave <laughs> our UP knowledge out of the picture for now. But Jennifer asks, which Portland team is performing best over their seasons? The Timbers, Thorns, or Timbers 2? I mean, it's hard to say this week, given given the situation, but I, I would still say the Timbers, based on um, the run they were on and, and what they've been able to do this season. I think the Thorns have a pretty high standard um, that they've set for themselves over the last few years, and they haven't come all that close to matching that standard this year, even though I think at this point it's 
fairly safe bet that they can make it into playoffs um, with the right results in the next three games and potentially even make a run. But, yeah, I, I think for the Timbers, new coach, a lot of overhaul, um, and seeing what they were able to do in that 15-game stretch, for me, that's been the the team that I think's done the best this season. I think it's clearly the Thorns. Um, I I don't, I don't even know how to like explain that. I mean, I think you say like the Thorns have a high standard. shouldn't be held against them when we're evaluating how they're actually doing. We can both say that they're not meeting their standard and say that they're at a higher level relative to their competition than both the Timbers and T2. And I actually don't know how to justify another view on that, even though you just said that. I mean, like, <laughs> well, you're justifying it in terms of, of standards the, the standard, of each but team. I don't think that's fair to the Thorns to say that they haven't been as good just because more was expected of them. Um, and I, I want to apologize for phrasing it that way, too. That was not very nice of me. All right, let's go to predictions. Thorns versus Sky Blue. This is the first game of the week for Portland's teams. On Wednesday at Providence Park, an 8 p.m. kickoff. It's going to be a hot day, the hottest day of the week. Jamie, how's this one going to turn out? Yeah, I think the Thorns are going to get the win here. Um, I, I think at home, knowing they need to win, knowing they need to be better against a weak team, um, they're going to be hungry and they're going to get the job done. It is going to be two to one. Sky Blue is going to come in with a lot of motivation. It's well. going to be two to one. I love the confidence <laughs> there. Uh, my side bet is that uh, at least one former Sky Blue player is going to score a goal in this game. Uh, former Sky Blue player, so it's going to be a Portland player. Uh, let's go to the Saturday game at Audi Field. It's going to be amazing to see what that place looks like empty. Jamie, what is going to be on the scoreboard? <laughs> Um, I think that the Thorns, uh, even though they're going to have the short turnaround, again, weak team. Uh, the Thorns need to get the job done. I'm going to predict they're going to win 2 to nothing. And I am going to predict, a, make a side bet that just hasn't come good yet this year, but I'm going to have faith. Anna Serna Gorsevich is going to score a goal in this one. She has scored goals this year. She's scored a decent amount of goals this year. She just never scores them when I say that she's going <laughs> to do it. Anna. I'm going to be talking to you today. I'm going to be coming to you after the game on Wednesday. I'm going to be pleading with you with every ounce of friendship that we have <laughs> built up. Please do this for me before you go on the international break. Help one of my side bets come good. Sunday, Timbers, Seattle, last meeting of the year, Providence Park. Timbers undefeated against the Sounders so far this year. So what will their third win against the Sounders this year <laughs> look like? Jamie. Um, I don't feel super confident going in this game. Oh, you don't I'm say. Not, I'm not going to predict a loss because it's at home against a rival, and I think the mentality probably will be better. Um, the Timbers will at least um, be hungry to get the result, but I am going to predict a 2-2 draw. Am I allowed to make a side? I'm allowed to make almost any side bet I want, even if it's to say that somebody from the other team is yes. going to do something good. Because my first reaction to this was Christian Roldan is going to score a goal in this game. He always finds a way... To like become larger than his normal self on these occasions. Yeah, he does pretty. He has pretty good. Yeah. Uh, pass against the Timbers. Whether it's just hanging around <laughs> in the six yard box on a quarter kick or just being his normal self, which is a very good player. Why don't we do that? <laughs> Why don't we try to make a little bit of history here? <laughs> Christian Roldan scores a goal on Sunday. Right. Wow, that does not feel good. <laughs> well, uh, let's try. You know what? Maybe I should have to make half of my side bets about other teams. I think just depends on the game, but I, I think it probably speaks to how we're feeling about the team right now, that your initial reactions to go with yeah, the side bet for the I other mean, team. I, maybe if I had actually, because the, the team didn't practice yesterday. We're recording this in the morning uh, at Providence Park because Jamie came by here for the Haley Rosso interview and that got moved up beyond her control. So we decided to record here instead of going out to Beaverton. Maybe because I haven't been out to Beaverton, I feel so out of touch with the Timbers that I don't want to touch it. Maybe that's it. 
Maybe. And I'm supposed or to... maybe Seattle's just been very good. Hey, hey, <laughs> and the wow. have not recently. Wow. Sorry. Jeez. Sorry, audience. <laughs> Jamie Goldberg is no longer here for you. This is now a Seattle Sounders podcast. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, let's see if the Timbers prove us wrong this weekend. Um, but for now, I, I guess that's it. We've reached the end of the podcast. Um, thanks for joining us, even, even though there was a lot of... Um, you know, not super positive Timbers talk today, but um, that's it. So uh, you can find us every week on uh, OregonLive.com, Sometown Footy, and Timbers.com, or you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care. 